welcome back to another episode of Rants and Gems. Matt Garland, NMLS number 58700, better known as MG the Mortgage Guy. Now today, I ain't gonna waste too much time because I got a special guest in the building with me today. Someone I've been watching on TV since the 90s. This man is an incredible actor. Now he's in real estate development. Three-time NAACP Image Award winner and founder and CEO of Yober Development. Dr. Malik Yober is in the building today. What's going on, my brother? Good to see you, man. Good seeing you, my brother. You're doing real estate development from Spanish Harlem. And when I saw you at the, I think it was the Black Man's Brunch, Mm -hmm. and you told me you wanted to come on the show. First of all, I was like a big fan. I'm like, yo, this is amazing to me. I had to go tell everybody I know that watched, like my sisters and everything, like, yo, guess who I just met today, (laughs) right? That's love, Um, man. So I'm honored and humbled to have you here on the show today. Ditto. So, so first, let's start this off, right? When did you get involved in real estate? What inspired you to get involved in real estate? And how did you get started in this industry? Um, so growing up, um, we grew up in co-ops, affordable um, co-ops in a place called 1199 Plaza. Okay. Um, so, you know, you mentioned the brunch. Jim Jones was there. Jim grew Shout up. out to Jim. Yeah, Jim grew up in the next building. He was actually my sister, my younger sister, Rahima's age. So they used to run together. Uh, Dame Dash grew up in my building Shout as out well. to Dame. Um, so we grew up in affordable housing, uh, affordable co-ops. So my father always talked about ownership and the importance of ownership. And, and uh, so it was kind of drilled into our heads. Mm-hmm. But around us in Spanish Harlem at the time was a lot of abandoned buildings, empty lots, pissy mattresses, that whole scene that we all know from broke New York in the 70s and 80s. Um, and as a kid, I used to dream about being a billionaire. And I'd say, I'm going to you know, build, you know, my, my quote was, I'm going to build uh, parks and schools and programs. Okay. I, I didn't even think about housing, to be honest with you. I was like, why do we have to have these empty lots in the neighborhood? How come we can't have with my friends? I went to school with downtown, how they lived on the Upper East Side. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was always a thought um, that this is what I'm going to do. I was that kid that used to like hanging out at uh, construction sites and just kind of watching what was going on. So I was always thinking about it. Um, I didn't, But then I bought my first property in uh, the mid-90s when I was about 26, 27 years old. Um, but the whole time I was thinking about development. In fact, I tried to do my first development deal when I was 17. I didn't know it was called development. Really? I was just trying to get a BMX track built in Central Park. <laughs> and I met with the Parks Department. Yeah. But I had plans. I made a little model. And, really? Yeah, yeah. My and what father, happened with that? Dude, he, he was a friend of my mother's. He indulged me and said, um, you know, yeah, okay. He just, he, I think he just enjoyed the fact that I was a 17-year-old kid with this idea. And at the end of it, he was like, nah, it's never going to happen. And now, was, and now they have bike lanes and everything. But, but now, yeah, the and they have, par- they have skate yeah, parks, skate parks alone, but and everything. None of that shit was around. Back yeah. I used to have to ride my bike over the George Washington Bridge, my little 20-inch wheels, to go race at a place called Braddock Park in mm. North Bergen, New Jersey. Or they used to do indoor racing at um, the Jersey City Armory, um, wooden jumps, and I would do that. But I was always thinking about building things. Okay. Yeah. Building things, and you purchased your first home in, in the 90s. Yeah. It was a co-op. A co-op. Yeah. So you purchased your first co-op, and then did you still own that today, or did you want no, to flip sold it? it uh, so when I sold it, um, I made, I bought it for like two twenty, sold it for just under a million dollars. And so that was the first Shit. thing. Yeah, those returns were that's crazy. A ni- that's a nice flip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the thing that really made me go, this is the first 
the largest amount of money I ever made in one transaction. Mm. And so that really got me thinking. And then, you know, I did flip that and bought some property in L.A. And then um, from that, I just really started focusing more on development. I had an opportunity. Um, shout out to my brother Dan Bythewood, Lassite Development, and Ian Arias. Those are brothers that were like, yo, you want to learn this game? Come, I'm going to show you. And that's literally how it happened. Mentorship. Absolutely. And they're younger than me. Okay. Yep. And so, um, yeah, man, Dan had bought 14 acres in, in, in Baltimore, the west side of Baltimore. Uh, it was friends and family. Susan Taylor was part of that deal. Reginald Van Lee, um, Kefra Burns, Susan, Susan's husband. Uh, and Dan, uh, we're in Long Island right now. So mm -hmm. Dan grew up here in Long Island. His father, Dan Sr., uh, came up with the Reginald Lewis's world and Dick Parsons and Ken Chanel. So they were that generation of black men in business uh, here on Long Island, Sag Harbor, that whole vibe. Um, and in the 80s, his father had partnered with a bunch of black dudes, and they were they were chartering. Uh, they owned jets, like corporate jets that they were chartering to, like, NBC, yeah. shit like that. Making and, money like that. Yeah, and so he grew up with that kind of mentality that it is possible for black folks to work together and to make some good money together. And so Dan, you know, first thing he did was invite me down to Baltimore when it was just dirt in the ground and took me to City Hall, met with land use, met with city council, met with the mayor. And so that was my entree into how development happens. Mm, so walking into your first deal, you said it was 14 acres. And what exactly were you guys developing now? So to date, there are two structures, two buildings, um, 262 units total um, in the middle of a raise for 100, um, 100 units of okay. senior housing uh, or 55 and older. Which means I can live there. Yeah. <laughs> you can live there. But you don't look 55, bro. Let me tell you that. This is what 55 looks like now. But, um, yeah, man, so that's that's what's there. I mean, and we've done a partnership with uh, uh, a home builder that's going to do some single homes. And so, in all total, over the 14 acres, it should be uh, 26 structures. 26 structures. How many total units? 3,000. Whew. Yeah. So, your first development deal... You come into a home run. <laughs> so, But I know there's a lot of challenges a, with that. Bro, I mean, that pro that property was bought in 2004. I got involved in 2007, wow. 2008. So we're now in 2023. And so just in terms of the timeline of that, you do the math on that, how much time and, and money and, and, and learning um, has happened. I mean, for the typical project, you know, from the time you make a land acquisition, you know, I, well, what's typical, right? I mean, but, you know, stuff I'm looking at now and have opportunity to do now, uh, smaller projects, um, you know, it's an 18-month turnaround, 24-month turnaround. This, we weren't able to put a shovel in the ground until 2017. Damn. Yeah. Ten years Yeah. before you even... Well, f 13. Well, 13 yeah, since they acquired yeah, yeah, from yeah. acquisition. And that was because of understanding the politics. A lot of it was politics. A lot of it was... People didn't believe it was possible. So Dan was 33 years old when the land was purchased. And so people look at this young black dude like, you really going to get this money to do this? So just dealing with the banks, um, dealing with other people in our community. Because I, I became like a spokesperson for it, so I would hit everybody up. Okay. Like a lot of folks in the entertainment business and trying to get them to invest. And, you know, folks weren't really uh, moving. They didn't really see it. Now that the structures are up, it's a little easier. So, 
development is definitely not for the weak at heart. No, you sir. know, you're saying 13 years for this one um, deal in Baltimore. And I could have never done that, personally. You need to collaborate. Yeah, absolutely. Of something of yeah, that scale. Absolutely. Like, it's not a one-man band. Ever. Like, so what has been some of the challenges? I know you named uh, a few of them just now, but what has been some of the main challenges you think that took that has taken this project? The, the main so challenge long? is always capital, right? I mean, because at the end of the day, nothing happens unless you have the capital. So, um and then in the, in that particular city, and, and much love and shout out to Baltimore um, as a city that we love. In fact, for me, um, one of the reasons I was excited to participate in the project is because just from an acting perspective, when I would tour with the Black Plays, and I did probably 10, 12, 13 years of touring, um, Baltimore was always a city that showed a lot of love, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah, no I matter what ball. people had yeah. or didn't have, them folks were showing up and they showed a lot of love. And so for me... I felt honored, honestly, to be able to, to, to go back into the city where you can see a lot of love hasn't been given. In fact, that side of, of Baltimore, um, there hadn't been new development in 50 years, 5-0. Wow. And that's where our people are. But yet, you got the University of Maryland right there, right, that is also underwriting some of the methadone clinics in the neighborhood. And mm. so you do the math on that. So yeah. why do those clinics exist in this community, right? Why is it still a food desert? Why is it still undervalued? Because, you know, the city had a plan, you know, for the east side, and then what's left is going to be the west side. So challenges were political, challenges were uh, funding. Um, you do have... Um, a sense in that city, and this is true in a lot of places, but I think Baltimore in particular, where you know we aren't from there, so there's a sense of who are you yeah. to come in our city and try to take what's ours, even if you come with a spirit of collaboration, even if you come with a bit of a celebrity element, you know. And I would make it my business to you know, and and so do my partners to make sure that we build relationships with the community. Um, we've gone through six mayors in that time. Mm -hmm. um, so Baltimore politics has its own challenges. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a lot of challenges, but money is absolutely a big one, um, uh, whether it's debt or equity. Um, and a lot of it is belief, right? Not just from the banks, but also the city. Do, can you really deliver on what you say you, you can do? Why do you think it's so hard for black people in particular to get access to capital when it comes to development? Well, the statistic that came out recently it said, you know, white folks own 98% of land in America. That's crazy. Right. Another crazy statistic is in 1915, we had something like 21 million acres of land as black people. Now it's down to like 1.5 million. We so, went from 21 million acres in 1950. In 1950 black people owned. Wow. 1915. Yes, sir. Shit, that's like 100 years ago. Yeah. And now we're down to how many? 1.5. 1.5. Yes, Damn. sir. Yeah. So I think that at the end of the day, man, it comes down to there is um, a belief that we don't deserve to be here. Period. Right? I have a lot of developer friends that are three and four generation uh, development families, right? People that don't look like us, who will say to me, I love what you're doing, but you don't really want to be a developer. It's too capital intensive. In a city like New York, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know, folks that I know who literally will spend 
a billion dollars before site control just on feasibility studies and everything else they need to get a billion with a B. We're in Hempstead right here, you know, one of my friends, Scott Reckler, who, you know, built on the water in, in him in um I think Hempstead. Yeah. Uh you know, six hundred million before he even got site control. It's crazy. But they got capital. They like got that. the capital. They yeah. can raise it. They can do that. And they're getting it from international players as well. So I think for us, man, the biggest thing is is you know, if you look at just from a consumer perspective, right, that number is one point something trillion dollars that we spend on Jordans and, you know, Everything. dumb shit yeah. all day long. Absolutely. So we have the money if we just turn toward ourselves. And that's really why I'm here to talk about that mission and stuff, even stuff you guys are doing. Yeah, I mean, people spend money on dumb shit all day long. And this is something that I've been preaching. Stop buying dumb shit, right, because you don't even need you don't even need it. You know, it's a distraction. You know, off camera, we were talking about that. People, places, and things will distract you from your ultimate purpose. And a lot of people, you know, I think in this day and age, there's really no excuse uh, for you not to be out here executing in real estate, especially as a black person. The way the laws were set up against us, where the government really tried to not have not have black people have a middle class. Not tried. They, they succeeded. did. They succeeded. Absolutely. They succeeded in that. But now the laws have changed. The resources are now available. Um, now I feel like there's no excuse. So if you're still out here buying dumb shit and you're out here spending your, your money and you're not investing your money, shame on you in my opinion. You're being selfish to your last name. That's just how I look at it. What do you think that we can do, especially you know the younger generation, to really get in the real estate game? Like, Is it mentorship? Is it more education? What do you feel like we need to do to really get in that game? Well, I think it's all of the above. I mean, you mentioned people, places, and things. So Yoba Development, our slogan is builder of mm -hmm. people, places, and things in that order. Very intentionally, right? So I think, number one, it's intention, right? You got to know that you are going to do this and you're going to be consistent and not just have the intention, right? But, you know, there's a saying, the road to hell is, is paved with good intentions. But you gotta have the follow through and you have to be consistent and you have to be resilient, right? Because it's not easy, right? But with Google and God, we really do have no excuse. With Google and God, you have no excuse. Bro, That's any, a fact. Any question you want, right? You can, you know, chat GPT or yep. Google. Yep. You can find the answer. Now it's just do you have the resilience? Do you have the stick to itiveness to get up every single day and go for it, regardless of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So whether you're making movies, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a janitor, whoever you are, if you aspire to, to do this thing, you have to be consistent. So you mentioned mentorship and education, absolutely. That's, again, why I set my company up the way we did, right? So it's real estate, media, and education. And so from running the I Build New York program at the Brooklyn Steam Center, um, we launched that a few months ago, even though we've been you know, talk about consistency and resilience. We've been working to do it for the last few years with okay. the Department of Education. And, and thank God, shout out to Chancellor Banks and even Eric Adams, um, because with these black men in position of leadership, um, really encouraging this type of behavior from us as private citizens to say, you know what, I'm going to partner with the Department of Education so that we can make sure that these young people in the school system get access to this information, right? So work with the Brooklyn STEAM Center, uh, which services eight high schools in Brooklyn. Um, kids that are studying career technical education pathways and design 
in engineering, construction, computer science, media, culinary. So working with this group of young people, putting them up on game, mm -hmm. right? Um, working with Pratt Undergraduate School of Architecture. Um, and the work that we do is for high schools, colleges, and communities. So that's the high school and the college level. And the community level, where you'll be with mm -hmm. us on May 12th and 13th, why are we doing from the ground up flipping the hood? We're doing that because during the pandemic, I heard from the ground up flipping the hood as an inspiration. Okay. And I stayed true to the vision that I started thinking about like-minded people that have the same mission to educate our community, to work collectively, to invest together, people who want to put other folks up on scholarships. You want to, I got a, you know, development sites. You want to partner with me on development sites. You have my man, someone like you. Okay, so we need financing for a deal you have. So mm -hmm. let's bring MG in here. You can do the mortgage piece. This person can do title company. This person is your, you know, contractor that can do that. This the person is doing your H, whatever it might be. That we have to be intentional about working together as a community, letting go of this idea that we don't have it and we can't do it together because when we put our resources together, we can do amazing things. And so um, for me, that's this is the legacy building. It's not just the TV and film shit that I might be known for, but what did I do for the community to build a community and, and build the people first? So, I like your slogan, people first. One thousand percent. I tell the students all the time, yeah. like, you know, so in a classroom setting, right, I might have a PowerPoint up, right, and it might say, what is real estate development and then uh, the def definition. And so, hey, who can come up here and present that? You're dealing with the average 16, 17-year-old. They're not given that opportunity to stand up and present anything, particularly in an area that they don't know. Absolutely. Right? So now we're going to work on not just the information, but we're going to work on your presentation. You talked about this when you started your podcast. You were uncomfortable in camera and what do you look like and how do I sound and how do I project my voice and am I clear and all that stuff. So we're giving you soft skills like presentation and building your confidence, particularly for kids that might be introverted, that no one's really checking for them but giving them an opportunity to shine and encouraging that. So you're learning about this, the content itself. You're learning about yourself. Now we got cameras rolling in the classroom, similar to what you have here. Yeah. Now I'm teaching you filmmaking. I'm teaching you real estate. I'm teaching you the ethos of giving back. I'm teaching you soft skills like social-emotional learning, how to present yourself in the world. Because now if you really want to be in this game, you got to understand people are going to trust you based on your ability to present yourself properly. Mm. So as someone who's worked both in entertainment, real estate, how do you think the two fields compare in terms of their demands and their challenges? That's a great question. It's a really good question. You know, it's funny because, um, you know, there's a lot of parallels between film production and development, mm -hmm. right? So on the film side, uh, an executive producer of film is the same as a developer. Right, the executive producer is going to hold the vision for the entire thing that you're doing. You're going to make sure that I right, let me find the best architect, let me find the best, you know, attorneys, let me find, you know, the best, you know, contractor, let me find the best funding source, find the land, get site control, right? So if you know, um, uh, that's on the development side. On the film side, so let me find the writer, let me find the best director, let me find the location to shoot this. 
let me find a production designer. The production designer in film is the same as essentially your architecture interior designer on, on, uh, on development. Mm -hmm. So those parallels are the same. Raising money is, is a challenge in both, in in both. both, in both spaces. Um, and you know, it says a great question you asked that because literally I was shooting a show called God Friended Me. Okay. Uh, where I was playing a real estate developer. Uh, <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> in, 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 in Brooklyn at Steiner Studios and across the street, uh, my friend Scott, who I mentioned earlier, is developing an entire city block. Down the block is the projects. Wow. Right? And I was thinking, so how many people from the projects walk by this set or walk by that construction site and have no idea about anything beyond maybe the actor or the construction worker? How do these worlds really work? Yeah. And I'm in both of these worlds. And it was while doing that show, I thought I want to bring three of my passions together, real estate, filmmaking, and education, working with young people. And that was really how Yoba Development was born, um, by taking those challenges that exist both in film and both in real estate and finding a way to bring them together. I think that's smart because content is king. Right. And content has always been king we just didn't, again, have access to it. But now, in today's world with social media, I mean, it's in your, it's in your hand, it's in your pocket every day with, with the iPhones or your Androids or whatever you're using. So I think it's a smart play by teaching the youth not only real estate, but how to get your message across. Yeah. Because if you just saying it to your friends in your circle, the yeah. world is not hearing it. Yeah. You got to get on this thing right here. Yeah. And you got to be able to speak that message to teach others. So I think yeah. that's brilliant what you're doing of combining the both worlds because it's equally as important, yeah. not just having the information, but being able to articulate it to others yeah. to teach the community to keep going forward. And a lot of times, like, I'd go to real estate conferences with amazing black people doing their thing, but no one on the street knows who they are. Exactly. So I'd go to, like, the Reese Conference, which is Real Estate Executive Council, and I, you know, I remember the first time I went to one of their conferences, it was probably 2018, 2019, and people looked like, what are you doing here, man? I'm like, all right, well, I'm here to tell you a story. Mm -hmm. And so I began to build those relationships with these people, and I share with you my doc series, and that's mm -hmm. what that was about. Let me find these people that are in this ecosystem, that are doing their thing, and let me create some new heroes. When you think about the food business, there was a time when there was no such thing as a celebrity chef. It was Julia Childs and everybody else. Mm -hmm. People weren't really on television talking about food. Food like and that. cooking. But the same thing happened with real estate. Same things happened with Ernie Leisure. Absolutely. Right? Like who, there was Jim Cramer. Basically. Back in the day, there yeah. was Fred Brown uh -huh. talking about it, right? But, there, you know, um, uh, Earl Graves with, with Black Enterprise. But no one made, brought it to the forefront to the people. Yeah, no one made it cool enough for yeah. us to want to... Uh, Seek the information, right? Right, like you said, Jim Cramer. Jim Cramer, you know, obviously, we all probably watched Jim Cramer at some point in time, but he's not really speaking of our exactly. language, right? So I think what we have done with Ernie Leisure and just many other people in our space who are doing an amazing job at articulating their messages for whatever business that they're in, we have broke down the barrier. You know, now the hood is paying attention, mm -hmm. and when you got the hood. You got everything. You got we everything. We drive culture. We drive culture. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's all we try to do is, you know what, let's speak to our people, right? Yeah. Because there was no one teaching us when we was coming up this that's stuff. Right. We all had to learn the hard way, trial and error, right? Our losses became our best lessons. So that's why I love the fact that what you're doing, you're bringing real estate. Because, look, there's no superstars in real estate like that in our community. And 
when I look at your lineup, for example, um, of your activation that you're happening on, on May 12th and May 13th, I'm looking at all these wonderful, incredible real estate people, but no one knows who they are. Exactly. They and will after, though. After, they definitely will. Yeah. But when I look at that, I'm like, damn, these are some dope people. Yeah. Why they're not, why they're not speaking? Right. right. And a lot of it is because of the companies that they work for. Yeah. Right. They want to keep them the compliance. They say it's compliance or it goes against the brand. They can't talk on social media like that. And I always tell my, my, my people who are in these great positions, like, fuck them. Right. You have a responsibility for our community. Right. Like you're a higher up in this bank and this person. You got mm -hmm. access to this. You have knowledge. You need to be on your phone talking about it. Yeah. 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 And they, 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 that's true, because, you know, even to get somebody like when I, you know, did the doc series. Right. Someone who might work at Goldman Sachs, who's killing it. Yeah. Right. I'm like people like, well, she's no longer there. Take Margaret attitude. OK. As, a, as a, for instance, the reason she wasn't a doc is because Goldman Sachs had to approve, you know, approve all the questions yeah. before. I'm like, yo, I'm just trying to make you a superhero because there's little girls out here that need to know you exist, that look like you. But we, there's workarounds, and, and there's enough people, I think, also that have their own uh, companies now that you know we featured, and, and those that do work for the Bank of Americas of the world, like the Maurice Coleman's of the world, who, you know, everything you see Tyler doing right now with T.D. Jakes, mm -hmm. you know, Maurice is up in that mix. Mm. The big entertainment complex they're doing in Atlanta, Maurice is working on the financing for that. And Maurice is a brother from Jersey, mm. right? Grew up in the hood. You know, he's in episode two yeah. of my doc series. Um, real estate mi the, the real estate mixtape. Yes, sir. I love that. Yeah. And, and in, in that, and I, I, I saw how you brought him in to meet the kids and everything yeah. like that. I thought that was dope because you don't think, and it was funny, they was having their own dialogue in Absolutely. episode two, yeah. right? And they was talking about, I guess they was on, what, Fifth Ave or something like that? They were on Fifth, 15th Street between uh, 7th and 8th. 7th yeah. and 8th, right? Yeah. So they were saying, you know, all the gentrification that's happening. And we thought it was gentrification, but the brother's behind all of this. Right. And I say, yo, that's so powerful yeah. that they even yeah. had the opportunity to meet the brother yeah. who's put in things in place, not to quote unquote gentrify, but just to make it better. Yeah. And I think, well, like, what's your definition of gentrification? Because I think everybody has a, a, a big misconception when they hear the yeah. word gentrification. Yeah. It's like negative. Yeah. But in my opinion, it's not. Well, because you understand the game. Mm -hmm. You understand that at, at the end of the day, cities are always going to grow. Or they're gonna, either they're going to go up or they're going to go down. Right? They could, but it's going to move. It's not going to stay the same. Right? It's going to be dilapidated. It's going to be improved. But I think that for me, as Mo says in that episode, if we participate, then it becomes participation and not just gentrification. And Absolutely. So, you know, like, I've, you know, I've got this development site in, in Bed-Stuy that we're working on right now. When I meet with the city, right, whether it's land use, whether it's the Brooklyn Borough President, whether it's the mayor, you know, the first question or the first comment I'm always thinking about is what is going to be the public good that we can do, not just market rate housing. Even, like, I'm at one site right now, you can do eight units in it. Right. But at least two of them can be affordable or they could be for young people coming out of forced care or returning citizens from prison that are in school to make sure that they have housing. Right. So it's not just about let's just put up, you know, when you run on the numbers and say, OK, well, we can make, you know, you know, the, the acquisition could be six hundred thousand for the land. Um, but when all is said and done, it could be worth five million dollars and we can make a million and a half. Mm -hmm. with that, right? My partner and I on that. Um, it's not just about the money, but it's about how do we make sure that it's serving something bigger than ourselves. Same thing is true in Baltimore, 
right? We have people who used to be homeless that now live in Class A housing. Dudes who used to hustle, who could literally look out the window from the gym or over the balcony from the saltwater pool, which we have in the hood, mm. and go, I used to hustle on that corner, right? So now these dudes that um, used to hustle are now living in Class A housing. They feel personally responsible for the property. So when they see people acting up, they're like, yo, yeah. do you need us to do what we need to sometimes do? Sometimes we might need them to yeah. do something, yeah. right? Or things like, you, you know, we have, there's a family in there that rents out 20 units, right? They run their Airbnb business. So we're supporting businesses within the business itself. Mom and son who own vending machines. You see me wear my Yoba Development jacket. Well, one of our residents, Phil Pope, shout out to Phil. Mm -hmm. He does my jackets for me. Dope. Dope. Keep the money circulating within. Yeah. And now you get the people who are from the hoods. Now they're overprotective. Yeah. Because they see the amenities. They see the lifestyles. Like, no, we need to keep this and activated. they see, yo, these are black developers. Yo, if you, they always tell you, yo, do you know what it feels like to know that y'all are the people behind this? And they feel like, okay, now we can do that. Mm. Right? And the education extends to them, not just through inspiration, but let me show you how you, too, can get into this game. How do you think, you know, because you, you do a lot of community work, right? And especially your advocate with affordable housing. How do you think we can make housing more accessible and affordable for all Americans? Because we're in an inflation problem right now. Yeah. How do you think, especially from a developer side, how we can make this more accessible for more people? Well, part of the biggest reason why housing is unaffordable, unaffordable is because the lack of housing stock. So America right now needs at least 7 million units of housing. Correct. That's a two, three, whatever the number is, trillion dollar uh, opportunity, business opportunity. Absolutely. But then you have 1% of developers of people of color. So part of my mission is to teach people development so that more of us understand it's a lane. I love the fact that when I went to the Brooklyn Steam Center and did a presentation for 360-something students, 39 students said, I want to learn this game. 10% of the population of that one school, right? So we got to go to the babies and say, let me show you that this is a lane. And so until people realize that they also can play in the space, we're going to continue to have that problem. And from a leadership perspective, we're in a window right now where we have Mayor Adams in position. And he, can, he has the opportunity to follow the legacy of like uh, Maynard Jackson in Atlanta or Howard Washington in, in Chicago to say, I'm going to make it my business imperative that I'm driving black business leaders, that we are going to create millionaires. You got the Herman Russells of the world, right? His father was able to start that company in Atlanta in the 70s because of Maynard Jackson. They had participation in building Atlanta Hartsfield Airport and built that, three, they're now three generations in, in the game. And so... That's really what it is, and, and, and holding out politicians accountable because they'll run on policy to say homelessness is an issue, we need affordable housing, but when they get in office... They don't do nothing. It's not that they don't do nothing. What happens is, because the, they got to serve all constituents, right? So you don't see affordable housing going up in South Brooklyn, in Bay Ridge, as in, for instance. You don't see it happening in, 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 uh, in Brooklyn Heights, right? In affluent neighborhoods, 
what folks will say is not in my backyard. That's the NIMBYism, mm -hmm. right? So it's understanding how the ecosystem is actually working so that we understand where we need to apply that pressure. Sometimes the pressure is polite, sometimes it's not. But if we don't understand the whole ecosystem, back to your question about gentrification, it's not just somebody came in and is displacing us. No, there were conversations that had that were had through land use. They were happening in the business community. They were happening in the finance community. They were happening at the political level, right, that said, this is going to happen over this 20-year period. Right now, I'm part of a group which includes... Um, Don Peebles, mm -hmm. McKissick, right? Uh, Moody Nolan, largest black architectural firm, NHP Foundation, who are the ones that invited me to, to the party, uh, a group out of um, uh, uh, Nashville called Pillars, and another one out of Louisville. Um, I, I can't, I, APK, I think, I forget their actual, it's an acronym. But you've got six, five led black organizations. NHP Foundation is not black-led, but a lot of black leadership there, right? That's a 10 to 15-year project to redevelop 2,100 units of, of, of uh, public housing in the city of Nashville, right? So we know that over the next 10 to 15 years, this is what's happening. So part of our participation in that deal is the education, is community engagement, is going, and I was there a month or so ago, meeting with residents, you know, talking to from six-year-olds to the parents to the older people, what do you want in this community, what do you need, how can we be part of providing that so that we're not just building the housing, but back to the people, the places, and the things that we need so that we can be a part of this. Downtown Brooklyn. I met with the Downtown Brooklyn Partnership in 2007 and knew in 2007, in the next five years, $9 billion of investment is coming. So when you look at what's happening between Tillery, when you come off the Brooklyn Bridge mm -hmm. to Atlantic Avenue, none of those buildings were there. None of them. I knew they were coming. None of them were Because there. I met with the Downtown Brooklyn Partnership, and they gave me a tour, and they showed me the plans. And so we got to put each other up on game. So when we find out about it, we got to let people know so that, you know, we need to be in those city, those community boards, right? Who are the people sitting on the community boards? It usually is project property owners. You don't have to just be a property owner to have a voice because when I come into the community and say, we want to put this building up, it's going to be 40 units or whatever, 80, store, 80 feet, 100 feet, whatever it's going to be, there's all kinds of considerations. Well, how is that going to impact traffic flow? How, you know, what about parking? You know, um, garbage collection. You have to do shadow studies. So if I put this building up and you across the street, now all of a sudden I'm going to put shadows on the light that you had. And so you have the right as yeah. a community member to be like, nah, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. Yeah. You can't go 40 stories. you got to go 20 stories. Well, yeah. then now as a developer, well, that means it's not going to pencil out. We can't put that there. But gentrification, back to that question, if we aren't participating at every level, then it's on us once we know. Once we know. Now, you've been on this development journey for, what, 20 years now? Uh, almost. Almost 20 16, years. 16 plus years on this development journey. Like, what are the steps or actual items you can give our audience if they want to get into the development game to kind of go through, to learn about everything that you just said? How do you find these things Google out? Google and God. Google and God. Bro, literally, how to become a real estate developer. What do I need? Investopedia is a great resource. Mm -hmm. Like, literally, 
Like, you don't have to go that far beyond your fingertips to start asking the questions so that you can get the information. So, obviously, once you have the information, well, what do you do with it? Yeah, what's next? So, the first thing you need to do is find a site, right? You can't do anything without site control. So, you could start shaking the trees in your neighborhood, start asking the people, like, wherever you live, or people in other neighborhoods that you don't live in. You start, have to start doing your research, and let me find a piece of land. Is this, now you have to do all your feasibility studies, you gotta do your surveys, you gotta, you know, meet with the city, so the political piece, right? Who within the city, you know, what are the, are there any liens on the property, or what, all, the, all the due diligence that you have to do to figure out is this a viable uh, uh, development effort. site. Yeah, yeah, right, and then once you do that, get your team together. Who's gonna work? Who with? should be on your team? So certainly financing is always going to be. Uh, so let me back up a little bit. On my team, mm -hmm. it's always people that know more than me. Facts. Rule, rule number one. Number <laughs> rule one. number one. Number one, because I do not look. I do not move in this space like I am some expert. I mm -hmm. am hungry and I'm humble, and I will always have people around me. Every little question that I have, I will always seek my my advisory group. Mm. So that's number one. Um, I was having this meeting Friday. You know, I was just connected with a, a guy through another partner on a bigger project. Who, because because a lot of small stuff comes my way. Okay. You know, I've got this little site, or here's somebody hit me the other day. We got um, a 27 unit, you know, building in Flatbush. It's we, you know, want to sell it for X. What do you think? Or I've got this site over here, or this person's in foreclosure over here. So for those smaller projects. I was put together with an individual who has done a lot of small projects, who's looking to do bigger projects. So it looks like it could be a really great marriage for us. And so he knows way more than me. Anytime he's running a calculation that I may not be aware of, like for instance, people might not be familiar with the term FAR, right? Floor area ratio. Yeah. And so how you calculate what is buildable based on the floor area ratio, what are the building costs per square foot, um, how many, you know, how, so if we know we can do, you know, whatever, 5,000 square feet, so we know, okay, within 5,000 square feet, we could put four units mm -hmm. at this number, these are building costs, average one bedroom is going to be 650, you know, square feet, okay, so we'll start doing those calculations, right? If I don't understand something, that's pretty basic math, right, yeah. in real estate, but Whatever it is, I'm like, yo, show me that again. Yeah. Show me, okay, now let me do it. And, and, and take the time to learn. All day long. I think that's the most important thing because you can have all these smart people, but if you're not going to use it to your advantage and say, all right, sit me down, explain this so I can understand. Over it. and over and, and, and over, over again. And then, yeah. what am I doing with the babies in this? And then I teach it to them. Yeah. And that's one of the best ways to know how much you learn something is do you have the ability to teach it to somebody else? Facts. So, yeah, but it's putting the team together, right? Obviously, the financing. You know, your legal team, um, your architects, your contractors, um, uh, you know, your designers, um, just, just you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving something out, but making sure that you have the team together that has done it. And, and don't try it by yourself for the first time. Is what I would say. Collaborate. Abso absolutely. Collaborate. You can curse. <laughs> absolutely. Collaboration is greater than competition yeah. at the end of the day. Especially with us, man. Yeah. Especially with us. We don't need to compete with each other. I want to eat with you. Right? That's I don't want to be thing. around broke people. That's nah. how I felt growing up. Like, yeah. Why do we have to be? I, I, as a kid, 
I really didn't understand poverty. I didn't understand how it related to real estate, how the federal government, particularly after world, before, even before World War II, mm -hmm. after the Great Depression, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt was, was saddled with the question, how are we going to build a middle class? Well, shit, we're going to build housing. People are broke in cities. Well, what about these suburbs? Yeah. Let's drive development in the suburbs. In fact, I'm going to give you money. Mm -hmm. You're a developer, white man. I'm going to make sure that you have money from the federal, the, 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 the um, federal loan corporation, um, from um, the Federal Housing Administration. Yeah, from FHA. Yeah, saying, okay, we're going to give you this money. You're going to go develop Donald Trump's father. Mm-hmm was part of that group yep. in that generation, mm -hmm. but you can't sell it to black people. Can't sell it to black people. FHA was designed, wasn't designed for black people no, so, at all. Or the appraisal business. Yep. The appraisal business, by definition, if anybody hasn't read The Color of Law, do yourself a favor, go buy that book and mm -hmm. read that book or get it on audio, right? The appraisal business, by definition, said, when it was started in the late 20s, at anywhere there are black and brown people, it's inherently less valuable. And so back to your gentrification question, the only way to gentrify is if I devalue what you had. Because we're all on the same level, playing field, and there's no gentrification. There's just development. Yep. So, so let's devalue what you got. Mm -hmm. So once we're done over here... We're going to come back. We're going to spend the block. Bro. And we're going to come develop this. And that's why we're doing from the ground up flipping the hood. So people mm -hmm. understand the first hood we flipping is here. Because the first hmm. real estate we own is in our minds. Gotta, gotta flip your mind first. We're gonna get the mind right. We're gonna start with the meditation. We're doing all those things, right? We're gonna deal with that trauma that says, I can't trust you, black man. Don't try to take my last. Mm. You want me to put it in with you? Nah, man, I don't trust you. Mm. We gotta get to that. And, we, and, and you know, I, my partner's in Baltimore, right? Um, we have some unsavory elements sometimes we have to deal with. Unsavory. Yes, sir. Okay. Shit ain't tasty at all. <laughs> it's unsavory. Like shit. <laughs> you know, and it's not the people. It's a way of thinking. Yeah, it's a mentality. Right? So you put something in the neighborhood, and there are people who will want to burn it down. Mm -hmm. They might say, you know what? That garage door looks like an amusement park. I think I'm going to ride that thing. You just cost me $15,000 because you thought you need to play on this garage door that we put in there. So when you have those real elements that are still in the hood that you want to develop, you have to deal with that. You have to. And it's not easy. Nah, it's not easy dealing with our people who have that broke mentality because they're just savages. They don't really care. They don't care about life itself. So they damn sure not going to care about your property or anything that no, you got sir. going on. So it, it's definitely a challenge. And this is why I tell people, if you get into real estate, you have to really be cut from this call. This is something that you really have to want to do because the money is in the hood. And that's why you see all the white developers and everybody they going, like you said, they're spending the block black. And they come into these hoods, but we are from these neighborhoods. We can deal with our people accordingly, and we can put them in, in a better situation, cause especially if they see us who are the ones doing it. At some point, let's hope they'll come around. And I'm starting to see that in certain areas, people are now starting to not be unsavory, <laughs> right? They're starting to really realize, like, wait a minute, let's not mess this up because this is our people. And let's hope that the trend continues, but I, I, I love what you guys are doing about 
just educating just the people because yeah. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, like that's, you said, the mindset yeah. is the most and important the next, thing. So we talk about generational wealth building. A lot of times, yes, we need to have our trust set up. We need to have, you know, your, do your estate planning. You need to do all those things, understand the value of life insurance and how to, you know, flip those things um, and use those things as assets, right, to, to because you can, as you know, you can borrow against them and, you know, they can be your own bank. But we also have to think about your kids, right? If something happened to you, who's feeding into your kids? Mm-hmm. I don't mind taking on that responsibility and teaching my kids that that's what we have to do because that's what I learned from my father. My father was that dude who literally would go upstate New York, right? He had a friend that had a farm and get a half a cow. He'd get the cow slaughtered. Mm-hmm. We had one of those double side freezers. He'd give us what we needed. Then he would drive down to Philly and feed people that he knew in Philly, right? Other families. So we grew up watching this, right? Um, you know, I came home from, from school one day and there's these kids in the house. Like, oh, who are these kids? The mother had a, a psychotic break. She's at Bellevue. We taking care of them. There was another family. The father was doing an eight-year bid, accused on, uh, of rape that he didn't commit. That whole time the man did eight years, my father took care of that family. Wow. When we went shopping, they went shopping. When it was time for school clothes, they went school clothes, got school clothes. We ate dinner every day at 6 o'clock. They sat around the table with us. Wow. So I grew up with that kind of mentality of, you know, he used to say, if there's a crack, fill it. Leave places better than they were when you found them. So for me, I'm just drawn that way. If, if it, I, you don't, it doesn't have to be my problem. If I see you suffering... Right, I'm gonna take care of you, mm-hmm. and so people look at, oh, that's Malik Yo, but it, it, it ain't about the actor, it ain't about cloud, it ain't about nothing. But you're suffering. How many times we've we seen those videos? Some old man gets knocked in the head. He's laying in the ground. People step over him. Yeah, I don't have that, and I don't know how to do that. If I see you down there, I'm gonna lift you up. So that to me is as much a part of real estate development as anything. We used to be the real estate. Agreed. When you think about stocks and bonds, right, that was us. Bank of America, Bank of New York, Citibank, all of them, Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase, all of them started off the real estate of black people. So when you asked the earlier question, when did you get into real estate? Well, real estate was always in me because we were the real estate. We were the real estate. Powerful. Speaking of that, right? Our people fought for us to have the right to buy real estate. And in today's climate, especially with social media, everybody has a phone, they have an opinion. You'll have people out here saying, don't buy real estate, you shouldn't buy. I disagree with that. I think black people, we have to buy real estate Mm -hmm. um, because they they did take it away from us. Now we have the right to buy. How do you feel about the first time homebuyer was going to watch this? Should they buy real estate right now? If it's now? the right time for you. Mm-hmm. Because it's not always the right time. Agreed. Right? Sometimes people, and we learned this in, in, in 2008, right? Everybody thought it was, you know, time for everybody to buy, but a lot of people ended up upside down. I got somebody right now, my man called me last week because his cousin's upside down. Mm. Can't, hasn't paid a mortgage in six years. Wow. She can't afford the property that she has. Can't even find the deed right now. We can find it through title company and, you know, lawyers and stuff like that. But 
I'm happy to help her. It's a two-family in Bed-Stuy. So I, the first question I ask her is, do you want to stay in this property? She goes, I'd love to. All right, so how do we help her out? It's a two-family. It needs a lot of work, and so that's one of the projects on the docket right now mm. to help her figure out how do you keep what you have or a portion of it and partner. So if, if you're upside down, I don't want you to completely lose it as long as you can do your part. Yeah. Right? And so we're, we're figuring that out right now. But um, there's some great articles actually on, you know, Atlantic had one uh, recently on, you know, one of the biggest uh, lies that people were told that everybody should own property. It's not right for everybody. It's an asset it, when it's yours, mm -hmm. right? Because until you pay the mortgage, the bank owns it really, right? Let's be real. Technically, right? yeah. Technically, Technically right? yeah. Now, if there's um, uh, an increase in equity, then you have some wiggle room to play with. Mm -hmm. And you can do a home equity line of credit and use that to, you know, to build buy lots. another property. Yeah, yeah. To build. But you got to be careful if your financial situation isn't in a place where it makes sense for you to purchase just because everyone's purchasing. Well, that's why I tell everybody, don't be house rich and cash poor. You right. know, eligibility and affordability are two different things. The right. bank will give you a loan based off of your gross income, but you live off your net income. That's so right. even if they're going to give you a half a million dollars, seven hundred thousand dollars, can you really afford that? Can you really afford it? Because yeah. they're not taking into consideration child care, yeah. car insurance, yeah. groceries, light bill, yeah. any of. And these they things. know that if you can't, well, who's taking it back? Oh, we're going to take it back, right? Like a hundred percent, and we're waiting for you yeah. to foreclose. And even on the development side, right? Mm -hmm. So you have situations where. A bank, reputable banks, you go to them for debt because mm -hmm. they very rarely are going to put equity in your deal. So you go and say, all right, well, we need X, we need $5 million from you to put in this deal. And so they know that if you don't, if you aren't able to complete, to, to close that transaction um, and complete that deal, well, guess what? We're going to give you just enough that if you fuck up, we're going to grab that from Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And that happens all the time on the developer side, too. Absolutely. There's a lot of developments that go into foreclosure yeah. that never make the news yeah. or anything like yeah. that. It's a big problem, yeah. actually. And, it's, as, and it, ha it can happen a lot with hard money lenders as well. Absolutely. Because people know, I'm going to give you just enough. If you can't fulfill that, especially if they're in first position, that first money in. Mm -hmm. Give me my money. Well, and that's why I try to tell people before you invest a dollar into anything, you should do your, your research. You should understand what you're doing. You should have your team built. I don't care if you're buying the first, your first house, right, and you want to have barbecue and bar mitzvahs all summer. Great. What do you know about the business? What do you know about the neighborhood? Can you really afford it? Do you have reserves, most importantly, right. because life happens, right? You can't spend all your money and think, hey, I got a house. Everything's good. No. Roof leaks. Yeah. Boiler breaks. You yeah. don't want to get into the credit card matrix. Yeah. You know, and it's it used to be, you know, three to six months. Of reserves, yeah. You might need that joint for like a year. Oh, no. Nah, now yeah. it's like 12 months yeah. Yeah. minimum right yeah. now. Because yeah. for me, the way things are continuing to increase, you just, I don't think six months is long enough to yeah. have like a, a rainy day fund. Yeah. I think right now you really have to go to at least 12 months. So that way you know, okay, God forbid anything happens, I got a year to figure it out mm -hmm. um, versus 90 days. Because 90 days go, I mean, yeah. look at it, we're in April, May already. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the year just started. Yeah. And it's just, it's gone already. So I always try to tell people who watch my content, 
don't be house rich. I, I've been saying that shit for like five years on the sense of that. And now people are starting to understand like, yo, Matt, I get it. Because like you, your homeboy call you, like people call me all the time. Like, yo, Matt, I can't afford this. Like, I'm, I'm screwed right now. I'm like, well, I'm looking at your gram. You out here in Tulum. You out here in Bali. What do, what do, you, what do you say to people like that? One, like you, sell it. Partner. Like... Or if it's just not for you, it's just not for you. I don't. I think home ownership is important, especially for black and brown people, but it's not for everybody, like you said. Mentally, you have to be here. Right. Um, it's a responsibility. It takes a certain level of discipline and maturity because that those bills come for the Quick. first. They come on the fifteenth for the for the following month. Yeah. They want their money. Yeah. The utility people want their money. Yeah. The bank want their money. Yeah. Everybody want their money. So it can be a shock. If you're coming from living at home or renting where you don't have too much responsibility mm -hmm. to now every single month you have all these bills. And if you're not making money, if you're a person who's living paycheck to paycheck, that's a part that will kill your mental health yeah. and it'll yeah. make you snap. So what yeah. I try to tell people is, look, make sure you're mentally ready for this because it's a huge responsibility of home ownership. And not everybody's going to be ready. Yeah for that yep. and when people come to me like yo mg i want to do this i want to do this like all right can you really afford it are you really mentally ready for what's going to come at you because i'm not one of these guys on the internet say oh, you can buy a house with no money and use other people's money yeah that's true but you start taking other people's money they want their money too that's right right are you equipped to give these investors back their money their money plus yeah. the return that you that's promise right. in the time frame that's right. that you promise especially yeah. if you have no experience yeah. so slow the hell down yeah. learn the game first do a deal or two like you said partner with someone yeah. and if you are in distress and you own a house does it have equity right now yeah. and if it doesn't if you upside down me personally because i've been through foreclosures i've been through short sales sell that shit Get rid of it. Yeah. Well, that's the beautiful thing, about it, and that's when it makes sense, right? Like, always knowing that it's a chess piece. Absolutely. It's, it's a game, right? You, you, it's Monopoly. Yeah, it really is. Real-life Monopoly. Yeah. Right? So it's great when you're in it. Um, if you have property, that you can leverage it, but understand the timing um, um, on, on when to get in and when to get out. You got to know your and don't, and, and don't have an ego about it. You can't have an ego. You got to be disciplined. You got to be yeah. disciplined. Got to have an exit strategy, and you can't be emotionally attached to real estate. That's right. You have to know when to get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. And, and, and the right emotional attachment, So, which brings me to why, if I knew what I knew now, I would have bought all of Harlem when they were selling real estate for a dollar. But yeah. my emotions, I was too bougie, mm. right? I'm from the hood. I, I bought my first property on the west side, mm. you know, right? Alec Baldwin was my neighbor, Madonna, I'm yeah. Steph from Central Park. You're a big superstar. I made it, I made it, <laughs> yeah. I made it, man. And then I go back to Harlem in, in, in Brooklyn, you know, properties were two, three hundred thousand. Now nah, I'm from the hood, I ain't gonna do that. But that's why I'm so passionate about the education. That's why I'm doing from the ground up flipping the hood. Mm -hmm. Because there are hoods everywhere, right? Next week I'm in D.C. with the African American Mayors Association doing a fireside chat, screening some of my doc at the gala, right? Meeting with these these mayors from all, there's 500 mayors in all these black cities around America. Everywhere that was redlining, there's opportunity for us. Absolutely. It doesn't have to just be in New York. Absolutely. Right? And so that's why we went to Baltimore because we saw what happened in New York. We saw what happened in California. So we're like, okay. Let's catch the next wave. Let's catch the next wave. And so um, being able to embrace where we are 
Not for the reasons a lot of us have embraced the hood. Nigga, I'm from the hood, nigga. You don't know a nigga, you ain't shit. Not for that. Mm-hmm. But to say we were deliberately undervalued. We were deliberately left in these rat mazes so that we would kill each other. So that we would not understand, okay, I don't have great education in this school because there's no tax base from the real estate that's driving, that's paying for the education because those things are connected in this country, right? Real estate taxes do pay for education. Absolutely. And so when we understand the matrix we're in, then we can embrace it in a much more loving and nurturing way, not to kill each other for the block, but to say, how do we, how are we gonna own this block? How are we gonna flip this block? Because we're gonna put our resources together. If you go to a place in like Chicago, in, uh, Detroit, on the west side of Detroit, there's a place called Fashion Avenue, mm-hmm. right? That area is largely black owned. It's the largest strip of real estate owned by black people. And what I love about that, that area um, is folks who came up together understood what they were dealing with. And they began to invest in the community, open, like shout out to my man Jason Dixon over there. Jason's you know, brother who bought, at 23 years old, bought like a building a medical supply business. And then opened up, you know, uh, I forget all the businesses he has over there, but one of the things he's doing is infrastructure, right? Uh, fiber optics and, you know, especially with the infrastructure builders come, come down. He's well positioned to take advantage of that because of what he was doing and how they work together as a, neighbor, as a community. The restaurants, the clothing stores, the, the, the residential, like I said, the medical supply businesses. And they can sit there now, 20 years later, collectively and say, we did this as a community. Mm-hmm. That ain't the side of Detroit that you see on the news. Nah, definitely not. But they over there doing it. They're and it's def- all black people. Yeah, Detroit. We were just in Detroit recently for an event. Uh, what up, though? Shout out to all my people in Detroit. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity for black people out there. And if you're really tapped into it, you can make a, a, not just in Detroit, but anywhere in America, it's the same opportunities, especially for people that look like us. You just gotta really, like you said, get out that bougie mentality and say, oh, I'm, I'm from the hood, I don't wanna go back to the yeah. hood. Now you gotta look at where's the gold at? Yeah. And there was the opportunity. And most of the hoods across America, that's where the opportunity is yeah. for us to make some money. Yeah. Gentrify our own hoods yeah. before they do it. Yeah. It's how I look at it. So I think that's dope. I wanna talk about your, your activation that's coming up real quick. From, from the ground up, flipping the hood at Brooklyn, Navy Yard. You should read the, PR, the press. The press. Me read, read that exact as it is. All right, let me, that says it, baby. Right, let me, let me, let me, let me better get coming there. from you to me. <laughs> <laughs> first paragraph. Yeah, let's go do ahead. it. Let's let's do it. Hold on. Let me go. Let me go. Let me go to this. All right. It says three-time NAACP Image Award winner and founder and CEO of Yoba Development, Dr. Malik Yoba has accomplished many things in his decade-long career on screen and stage, but behind it all was. His passion was always to educate, empower, and uplift community via the arts, entrepreneurship, with a particular focus on the youth. I love that. Well-known actor, writer, filmmaker, musician, long-time educator, and serial entrepreneur. But over the past 16 years, Yoba has steadily emerged as a real estate developer with projects in New York, Baltimore, Boston, and Georgia, among other cities. All right, so on May 12th, May 13th at the Brooklyn Brooklyn Navy Yard, building 303, located at 399 Sand Street, right? You, you present this one-of-a-kind, two-day generation, generational wealth building activation entitled From the Ground Up, Flipping the Hood, Community 
Focus Initiative brings together professionals and entrepreneurs of color in mental health, real estate development, finance, art, culture, technology, wellness, very important, education, sports, investments, politics, extremely important. We don't have too many of us in politics. We need more of us in, in, in politics and entertainment and will provide opportunities for the community at, at large, but especially students and young people of color. I love this. Tell us more about this event, this activation that you're going on. Why? Why now? Well, uh, well, for, this is actually the 6.0 version of the work I was doing in the 80s. Okay. So from 1987 to 1989, I worked with a group called the City Kids Foundation. I worked for them for six years from 19 to 24 years old. That's where I was right before my acting career took off. But in the 80s, I was working in 13 high schools in New York to help reduce the dropout rate by going into schools, uh, engaging young people around things they cared about, and help them find their voice so they want to stay in school. So part of that group was people like Isaiah Washington, Donald Faison, Dash Myhock was on um, Ray Donovan, Lisa LaPera who's on Equalizer right now, Dulé Hill, Lauren Hill came through there. So in the 80s, the work I was doing through this grant, uh, Tennis Improvement Dropout Prevention is a division of DOE. Um, back then it was the Board of Education. We would use art to engage young people in things that they cared about, bring them into a space, and give them their voice. And so all I'm doing is what I was doing in the 80s. I know the value of when you put young people at the center of education opportunities, and I was that young person. I was 19 years old when Lori Meadoff uh, saw something in me and said, I want to hire you, and at 20 years old, she hired me to be a junior chapter specialist, which meant that I worked in every single borough of New York, and we would service these schools five days a week, going with the theater company, which I refused to be a part of because I was more interested in running the organization, mm -hmm. and we'd engage young people, and then every year we would do something called the City Kids Speak event around different issues and bring kids together and find their voice. So that's really all I'm doing is saying, now my Rolodex is pretty deep, so I got people in politics, people in tech, people in real estate and finance and all these, these areas. And I put two days together of some of the most brilliant minds that I know that are going to not just have opportunity for us, you know, to uh, collaborate. You know, obviously we've invited you and the rest of the guys are invited as well mm -hmm. to come and pour into these young people. At the same time, we can work on deals together and they can see in real time that these are black people that are doing it together. So Absolutely. the development site that I mentioned in, in Bed-Stuy, there could be opportunities for people to invest in that. We got a, a crowd equity a fund, uh, a platform starting called Invest Tank uh, that's set up for real estate and entertainment projects. We've got my man, Mike Yan, um, uh, um, uh Alexander, who's now working at a company called Momentous Securities, where I have at least four different developers that have projects right now that Mike Yan can look at can vet and see which ones he can invest in. We got a sister, um, Venus Quantz, who's given, um, who has a company called Launch Tech. Uh, she's a, a federal contractor with NASA. She's got scholarships for Space Camp. We mm. got John Crossman, a white dude, who, who identifies as a conservative Republican, who wrote a white paper for HBC, around the value of HBCUs having degree programs in real estate. There's not one HBC right now that we can get a master's degree in real estate. So it's incredible people who share in the mission of we want to make sure that our people get what they need and we have to see it, right? And we have to make it accessible. 
you know, what you all do with InvestFest. Incredible. Bringing the generations together mm -hmm. to say this is what it looks like when black people not just sit around and talk about the stuff, but we actually make move, moves together. I love We're this. Investing together. So that's why. From what, 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 so, this, so this is happening on the 12th, May 12th, and 13th. May, 12th May 13th. How do we get tickets? So you can go to um, uh, yobadevelopment.com forward slash events mm -hmm. from the ground up. So you can go to my website. Uh, and because we got more sponsors coming in, I'm actually dropping the ticket prices now. By tomorrow, they'll be $150 okay. for two days. So $75 a day investment. And the beautiful thing is when you buy a ticket, you're paying for a kid to come too. So for the adults that come, for the professionals, know that you're helping to underwrite the so, cost. So so every ticket sale helps underwrite the cost for, for students. For yeah. students, I love so that. This is our first one, and for me, at the end of the day, it's just a matter of of breaking even. If we make a little profit, good, but that goes into the the education programs we run. Mm -hmm. But this is something that we'll be doing all over the country. I love it. Yobadevelopment.com forward slash events. Events and then uh, forward slash from the ground up. From the ground up. That's how you get your tickets, man. I want to see y'all there. And this is an all day event? Or all like, what, day, man. What's it's the time? Shock full from 8 30 to 5 30. So mm. people, you're going to be awake anyway. Yeah, so you might as well be, be here. Like, oh, it's long. Yeah, and, and, and I got a shout out, Layden Lewis uh, Design Studio. You were in the space for the Black Men Brunch, but when you come to the space mm -hmm. and how we're building it out, mm. They're very, very thoughtful, right? This area we call them the sanctuary. Right? A lot of times you go to conferences and everybody's sitting in rows. Yeah. This is more of a circle. Okay. So that, like the village. I like that. So that people could see each other. I like There's that. tables, not chairs, but tables so everybody has a seat at the table. Hmm. So it's very intentional, every aspect of it, from how we're designed. Working with New York City Parks, working with groups like Harlem Grow. So for the urban farmers, we got an area dedicated to that. We got a brother, um, Hermie Chestnut, who's in the commodities business, coming to speak and teach people how he's making millions of dollars selling soybeans and sugar and wheat around the world. Black dude from Crazy. Queens. How many of us are in commodities? We don't know about that. Crystal Rosa, who is doing the mindfulness meditation, the growth. The, we start the days off with meditation. Mm. So it's part church, it's part wellness retreat, it's part theater, it's part school. It's giving people a holistic experience so that every aspect of who you are mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and then financially, we get to the money really on the second day, right? We end with, with, the, with, the, with the federal contracting business, number one. A lot of us don't know about that, like the 8A program. New York alone, eight, uh, sorry, 30-something billion dollars in the state of New York alone last year was set aside through the SBA 8A program. For black entrepreneurs, only 80 black-owned companies apply for that shit. Get the hell out of here. Because we don't know about I've it. I've never heard of that before a day in my life. This is, why this is why we're doing this. And that's my job, to be the evangelist, to be the storyteller in the space, to make sure people are educated while we could also do these deals. But we got to lift as we climb. And yeah. so the reason we end the second day with the federal contracting is because we start on the first day, we talk about redlining. And we talk about how federal policy fucked us up, but now I'm going to show you how federal policy is also in place to look out for us. Same thing like the Minority Business Development Agency. Um, until President Biden, that agency was never codified as a legit permanent agency to drive black business. 
It was set up during the Nixon administration. It's been there for 50 years. Wow. But it's one of those things like the redhead stepchild of the SBA. Well, maybe we're going to give it some funding, maybe we won't. But nah, Donald Cravens, who's the undersecretary, is a brother, 50 mm -hmm. years old, on a mission. Like, I want to show black people how we set up so we can win. One of the sisters that will be there for the federal contract, her name is Stacy Mullison, has a company called Libra Management. Uh, she's seven years in the 8A program. It's a nine-year runway that you're given by the government to, to become millionaires. Mm. It's our tax dollars. Mm. The United States government is the largest buyer and uh, a purchaser of goods and services in the world. So whether you need plants, you need some wall treatments, you need bottles, you need cleaning solution, the federal government pays for that shit. And we need to get some of that paper. So Stacy is there. She has international business that she's been able to develop through the Minority Business Development Agency that most people don't even know exists. So that's why they're there. Same thing like Corinne Apollon, who's the chief equity officer for the Department of Education. Never existed before. David Banks put her in position. Why? Because New York City Department of Education has the largest budget of any public school system in the world. Yeah. $38.9 billion a year. $12 billion of that is spent on goods and services outside of the classroom. Guess how much goes to black, black businesses? Probably less than 2%. Keep going. Damn, less than that? 0.01%. Crazy. 0.01%. Are we talking $12 million? It's crazy. But it's opportunity. There's opportunity. And that's why she's one of the keynotes. That's why I'm a vendor with DOE. That's why I encourage you to be a vendor with DOE. That's why everybody who's watching this, if you, if you printing company, transportation, food, whatever it is that you do, you have an opportunity to make money with the same school system that spends our tax dollars educating our kids that is 75% of the kids in public school system. Yeah, I think this event is definitely very this important. What? This This activation, Sorry, yeah. this activation, <laughs> let me be clear. <laughs> this activation is very important because we don't get to, we don't know, like I'm listening to you, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, and these people are gonna be here. These, yeah. are, these are people who can make decisions. Not only are they gonna be there, they are passionate about that. Every single person, I got 54 presenters. Mm. You made 55 when we met. Every single person is passionate about pouring into these kids, whether it's Martha Underwood, one of my partners. We're partners in a company called Prism, which you actually should know, especially for the folks you work with, because it's a, basically a digital vault. Okay. So when people have all their important papers and grandma died, you got to look through all the shoe boxes under the bed and the attic. We can put them all in one spot, so easily transfer that wealth. A lot of times people will pass away and they have no next of kin mm -hmm. to take on that, that asset. Instead of it going back to the bank, because we'll know where things are, because we work with banks and insurance companies, we can now hold those assets within our community as well. So, yeah, man, I mean, you know, um, I don't use I'm, I'm pushing it now more on social because i've been busy actually doing the work mm -hmm. and you know i'm still occasionally on somebody's film set doing something um but most of my days is spent building this company doing this work this is yoga development's first official uh offering to the world like i said everything we do is for high schools colleges and community so this is our basically our coming out party saying hey we're going this is how we showing up in the world 
in this incredible space that we're building out very intentionally. Um, thank God for, you know, partners like Feldman Lumber and, and DeGaulle Visual Solutions and Turner Construction that have all come on board to say, we're going to help you build out this, this vision that Layden Lewis uh, uh, articulated. I got the kid, I'll, I'll share you some information after. Um, there's a young man named Randy Lopez who I met when he was 16. He's now 23. He's a student at Pratt. He did all that work, like the visuals when I sent it to you. Mm -hmm. That's Randy. Wow. That kid was designing shit like that when he was 16 years old. Wow. So being able to keep these young people in the mix. And keep them activated. Bro. Keep them in motion. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. Dr. Malik Yoba, y'all. Thank you for coming to the show, man. Coming to the studio. It's a nice little setup you got here, bro. Yeah, we are. Look, man, we trying I'm to. Impressed. I'm trying to get into this um, film world. You're and, doing it, and, man. And, and doing documentaries. That's one of my goals. So when you when you send me a documentary and I saw how and I was impressed to hear you say that you edited this documentary, I said, "Damn, this is fire!" Right. So it really inspired me. Like I can do this. Yeah. Like yeah. I can do this too. Like and, and that's all I kept on saying to myself, bro. Like yo, I. What I've been saying to Tooks, I've been telling yo, I want to do documentaries, I want to do movies, because I feel as if, especially when you look at shows like Million Dollar Listing and all these freaking reality shows, it's no representation of us. No. It's not. On purpose, bro. On purpose. On purpose. Trust and believe there's shows that I've pitched. That's why. So I got, so the real estate mixtape, which you got a chance to see, people can which is fire, go, go to my website. There's, there's access to it there. Um, and it's purposely not done for streaming. Mm -hmm. Because I work in that business, and I, you know, a friend of mine looked at it last year. They go, "Yo, we should get this to Netflix." I was like, "I work in that business. Like, I ain't trying to convince somebody that my shit is dope. I know it's dope. That's why I did it." And I say that humbly. What makes it dope is not me; it's the people that are in it. Absolutely. And yes, I took a cinematic approach. Yes, I did every music placement. Yes, I cut every bit of film in there because. That is something else that I do, and I, I love storytelling from a director perspective. But I'm not trying to have it be canceled by anybody because someone tells me it ain't doing what it's supposed to do. This shit will live forever. Yeah. And I screen it at colleges. I screen it at high schools. I mean, shit, I screen it at banks. I was at BNY Mellon screening it. I'll be screening it at the African American Mayor's Conference. I screen it at the Brooklyn Steam Center. We'll be screening it at the, at the, at the dock, at the, um, the activation. So a friend of mine told me she should send it to a friend at Netflix. And he's a brother who was in charge of documentaries. And I was like, yo, that ain't my goal, but let's see what he says. Mm -hmm. And he comes back and says, yo, you know, I think it takes too long to get into the th story in the first episode, blah, blah, people will switch. Really, bro? Thousands of people, tens of thousands at this point, because I've been screening all of 2022. Mm -hmm. The end of 2021, 2022. I've been all over the country with this shit. You gonna tell me that the impact I know it has? You watched it. That's the first thing I said to you. I said I love how you brought in old New York yeah. and showed us old New York because we forget what New York used to it's look okay. like. Yeah. And I said to you, bro. I said, look, I grew up in Brooklyn. Yeah. This reminded me of home. Yeah. It brought me back to my childhood, and it's important that we still see these images because we only see, you know expensive Brooklyn or expensive Harlem, but we don't see what it used where, to, where it used to what look, it look like. like for me. And the, yeah. that's what I used to look at dreaming about putting buildings there as yeah. a kid. That's why it's there. And that's why the buildings are there now yeah. because somebody else saw that vision yeah. and they had to access the capital. Yeah. Um, and, and the team building 
to be able to create yeah. what we see now. But I think personally, that was the gold of leading into the storytelling. Yeah. Was yeah. like you got to know where you're coming from to know where you're going. Yeah. Especially when you broke down. I think it was episode two when you were showing like the slave trade, like black people yeah. were there was the a real estate, bro. There was a slave market in New York for 200 years. You ain't learned that shit in school. Nah, hell no. I never knew that until I learned it when I got out of school. Yeah. It's crazy. For 200 years in New York, right by Pine Street, by Wall Street. The slaves who built the wall that became Wall Street. Trinity Church, the original Trinity Church. Slaves were loaned out to build that church. So Trinity Church owes us. I mean, they got billions of dollars in real estate. They're endowed heavily through real estate. Mm -hmm. So... The information is important, and that's why it's directly to the people. Because I ain't trying to have nobody, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, nobody can. If it's yours, no one yeah. can tell you shit. And I've got scripted. I've got a show which will hit the world, um, set in the world of real estate, um, uh, and same thing. And I'm going to a lot of these partners on the real estate side, to, like Turner. You know, Amazon has a housing equity fund that people don't know about. They're on the real estate side and saying, y'all need to get into the content game so that we can own the IP and license it. And Because I'm not trying to have, again, pitch it not. Yeah. Man. Smart. So, smart play. I learned some things. Look, I, I love the documentary. I think it's a smart play. Control your own destiny. Um, y'all go to the website and watch it. I, I thought it was brilliant. And it gave me inspiration, like, yo, I can do this. Like, because I love the way it's following your journey of development. Yeah, it's and following my journey. Um, pursuing my first development deal in New York and I took seven young people of color and those seven young people like that kid Vaughn Thorpe the nappy head black kid yeah. who'll be there at the activation he was a bus boy mm. he came up to my table and I'm looking at this kid I'm like he's like yo man I'm a rapper I make, I'm an actor I make movies blah 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 what you got and I'm looking at his tattoos, his nappy head, and I'm like, this kid'll be perfect. <laughs> he has no idea what I'm up to. But he said one thing that uh -huh. really made me know. He goes, I, I see I'm working on this documentary on real estate. He said, Yeah, man, I know who Philip Payton is. I was like, How you know who Philip Payton is? Philip Payton was the first black developer in New York, nineteen oh four. He's the dude who moved black people from the South Street Seaport area, which is where everything was in New York, to Harlem when these brownstones were being built for uh, uh, German uh, Jewish uh, immigrants, and they couldn't fill them up. And so one of the owners of the building was like, I need you to help me. So he went down by Wall Street, uh, South Street Seaport area, and was convinced black people to move uptown. That's how that happened. And he only lasted from 1904 to 1908. Um, and he started as a janitor, working for a, a realtor. Mm. and. Uh, because some of the white folks who were living there got upset, he bought the building, kicked up all the white people out. <laughs> and he set the stage for the Harlem Renaissance, which happened, started 12 years later. And so, or nine years later, 20, uh, uh, um, uh, 1919. Um, but Vaughn knew about that. He knew about Philip Payton. I'm looking at this kid like, how the hell do you know about Philip Payton? Yeah. He said, oh, I was, I was uh, researching Bumpy Johnson. Um, mm. <laughs> and so I found out about Philip Payton. I was like, here's my number, bro. Show up on this day, he showed up, and he ends up as a star of the dot. 
That's dope. Yeah, he was heavily involved. Yeah, he's. I love heavily that kid. Involved. Love heavily that involved. Kid, he was doing who was edu- when I was saying earlier on the stoop, on with, the his stoop with his friends yeah. and educating them on it. And yeah. I say, yo, this is powerful because yeah. I'm looking at him. You wouldn't think he would have this type of information. Yeah. But you can't judge a book by its cover. And that kid, as a result of doing that doc, he ended up getting his real estate license. Dope, dope. Yeah. I love this. Look, everybody, tell people how to tap in with you. Uh, Malik Yoba. Everywhere you find people on social media, just me and my name. Except my Facebook got hacked, so that ain't me. It's some Asian dude who stole my shit. <laughs> they stole your shit? They stole my shit. But, uh, yeah, Twitter, Malik Yoba. And, um, uh, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. But you definitely find me May 12th and 13th at the Brooklyn Navy Yard from the ground up, flipping the hood. Um, tickets are moving. So if you want to get down for the get down, please go to yobadevelopment.com forward slash events from the ground up. And know that your investment that you make in you is also investing in a young person. So we want the professionals there. We want the educators there. And because uh, we, we got the lineup. So now. Not a lot. The lineup is serious. Yeah. I'm not even going to hold you. I was looking through it. And as you're speaking about what they do, yeah. nah, I'm definitely going. And he was like, because yeah. I, I asked you, I said, yo, what day you want me there? He's like, like, nah. be, be he like, be there both days. Now I'm just hearing it. Nah, I'm definitely there both yeah. days because I need to know. Donald Cravens, I need to get him on the show. I need to yeah. have conversations. Like half of these people on him, yeah. like, nah, they need to get on the show. Yeah. I need to talk to them because yeah. people need to be able to identify yeah. with the corporate yeah. side of real estate because yeah. this is very and the government important. side. And the government side, yeah. most importantly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because we have a lot of talent in our community. And we don't know where it's at. And we don't know where it's at. So this could be um the start of something beautiful. So I'm yeah. happy to be a part of it. Thank you for tapping me in on oh, this. Man. My brother. Thank you for coming. Make sure, make sure you guys tap in with my guy, Malik Yoba, man. Uh, I'm going to put the links in the description of this video. Uh, this has been incredible. We've never talked to nobody this long oh, <laughs> on the show. How long have we been here? Uh, 90 minutes now. Word? 90 minutes. What we, time is it? It's uh, 3 o'clock now. <laughs> Shit, go. Yo, we've been, we've been ripping and running. Wow. It's been a great conversation. Time flies when you're having wow. fun. Shit. You know what I'm saying? But, yo, make sure you guys tap in with my guy, Malik Yoba. I hope to see you guys on May 12th and May 13th at the activation. Links will be in the description. All right, this is Matt Garland, NMLS number 58700, but better known as MG the Mortgage Guy. Peace. Yes.